0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Top Producing Zone podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Jin,
1: And your co-host, Shane Carvalho.
0: Today, we're super excited to welcome Talia Bashani, a real estate attorney and negotiation expert who represents buyers, sellers, and developers, both in Florida and New York. Talia started Tab Law Firm 15 years ago and has closed over 10,000 properties and has over $500 million in property value. She also has a coaching and training program where she teaches realtors the legal edge and the various tools needed to win more exclusive listings, close more deals, and make more money. And who wouldn't like that? Talia has worked with some of the top real estate agents, including agents from Million Dollar Listing New York, as well as our very own Mr. Shane Carvalho. And Shane, I'll let you kind of finish the intro and maybe share a little bit about how you met Talia.
1: Yeah, actually uh talia stood out from day one we actually met in swap the biz which is a networking group uh in new york new jersey and uh actually and you've met you know you've met the leader of that group uh michael i think you were on once but anyway that's where her and i met we just we hit it off and then we had a common tie with you know real estate and exp and just yeah we just and then our personalities it's so basically i got invited out to uh come you know get to know their group in Florida a couple months back and uh yeah we just started we connected and then i don't know we're we're so busy we need to stay more in touch and do more so we're working on some stuff hopefully we'll be able to do more business in the future I'm trying to connect her and some of the key people in her group to west coast it'd be great to do something on the west coast as to what they're doing on the east coast i mean they're killing it over there so um yeah not only that uh Talia is also just you know like you and I loves the good food and you know it's and of course loving the uh, Florida climate and weather and well non summer weather we we just have a lot in common and so she's been a great great person to get to know we're still getting to know each other hopefully we'll be able to do more business together in the future
0: well and with that so Talia welcome to the show as soon as I heard foodie um, I was like we we're gonna get along. Very well.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. It's so it's so wonderful to be a part of, uh, you know, your team, your network, and your program. So I'm excited to be here.
0: Awesome. Well, Antalia, we want to, you know, our show is primarily focused on, you know, helping agents who are currently in production grow and take their business to that next level. Um, and certainly, you are all about that. With and you help agents do the same thing. But also, you know, what we all want to get into with this show is not only that. But also, you know, you've, obviously, you've built up this tremendously successful business for yourself in practice. Um, Shane has told me a lot about you in terms of just your passion and drive. So you know, I kind of want to maybe start by digging in a little bit into that, that aspect um, of your business and maybe share about a little bit about you know, how you started down this path. Because I'm assuming you, know, you obviously weren't like an overnight success. You built this up over 15 years. How did you get started?
2: Yeah, sure. So, you know, my career history really started um, back in New York City um, after undergrad. I wanted to make it on my own. I wanted to go into entertainment, you know, TV, music, film, whatever it is. I got started actually um, in the television industry. I was working for Discovery Channel um, and I was in their ad sales department. Because I wanted to be where the action was and where the fun was. Um, however, I was getting paid uh, very little. Um, it was about twenty-five grand a year at the time for a new, you know, college graduate, and I really didn't think that, you know, this career. Um, was going to work out for me in the long run because of the money so i decided to go to law school that was after about a year and a half of trying to make it on my own went to law school during the same time my dad was in the mortgage business so he had a mortgage company it was a really hot busy time it was between 05 and 08 before the market crashed and so i was in law school while he was doing mortgages and i was working at his office on the side so okay. I really, yeah, I got the ins and outs of the real estate industry and the mortgage business and really kind of learned the ropes um, working for, for him part time. So after I graduated from law school, I moved back to New York. I started working for a midtown real estate um, law firm that did all residential real estate closings in New York. So working for the partner at the time i was doing probably up to 50 or 60 closings a month managing these files um as a first-year associate so i really it was like sink or swim and i really got a lot of hands-on experience during that time um then after about a year and a half working for that firm i prepared a new development offering plan so in new york in order to build a new project or um develop a new condo, the sponsor or developer has to file this, um, you know, it's about a 300 page book with the attorney general's office. Um, And it's like soup to nuts, everything that goes into the new development before he can start accepting, you know, offers and collecting deposits. So long story short, I did about two offering plans. And then the partner asked me to do a personal offering plan for him and his colleagues, so I did it from scratch. He um, promised me a $5,000 bonus. I finally got it accepted by the attorney general's office. And then in 08, when the market crashed, he decided not to proceed with the project and abandoned the plan. Oh, well, also, he stiffed me on my bonus. So I was mortified, you know, because I basically was really counting on that money as a 28 year old. And I essentially told him, look, I did the work, you know, I'm still entitled to the money, to the bonus. And he was like, no, sorry. You know, we're not going to pay you because we're not moving forward. So with that, I put in my two week notice and I was like, I'm not going to stay at a place that doesn't value, you know, my time and my effort um, or me as a person really. So it was about principle at that point. And so I left, and I had one other offer on the table from another firm, but I also had an opportunity from a friend of mine who was working at J.P. Morgan Chase at the time, and they were looking to uh, build their bank attorney list with minority and women attorneys. Oh, okay. So I was like, "Wow, this would be a great account. Can I take it to the new firm that I'm going to?" She's like, "No, you'd have to be solo." And I was thinking about it, and I'm like, "Okay, you know, I'm a year and a half in." You know, this could be a great starting point for me. And after speaking, you know, with my family and just kind of like doing some soul searching, I was like, okay, I'm, you know, let me take a stab at it. I'm going to start my own practice. I'm going to give it a shot. If I fail after a year, I'll go back to working for a firm somewhere, you know, the firm life. Um, And if not, then, you know, I'll just um, continue growing my practice. Yeah. So uh, with that, I, I you know, was working out of my studio apartment on Wall Street at the time. So I had a 63 Wall Street address, which nice. kind of like dubbed as an office address because nobody knew. And every time I had a client come in for a contract signing or closing, I would have the doorman call me. And then we had like a business center on the fifth floor. And then I would meet, I would go greet the client. I'd take them to the fifth floor business center. And then I really kind of grew from there before I got office space and hired staff and things like that. So I really worked myself up from the ground up. um, And it was great. And that was 15 years ago. So
0: that's, that's really incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that. I I, want to I want to dig in on one thing that you said, and you said you'd left your original position out of principle. And it seems like that's something that's really big for you when it, it sounds like that's something that's very big for you when it drives your decision-making. Like what else would you say, like on a daily basis drives you today in terms of continuing your growth and, and your, in your business?
2: Sure. So, you know, for me, a lot of it is, you know, I just want to live my life and grow my business on the basis of integrity, right? So I'm not about cutting corners or shafting people or disrespecting people along the way. You know, there's some people that'll just step on people's heads to get to the top. I do it with grace and I do it with respect. Even though I'm very driven, I'm very determined, I'm still going to carry myself in a certain way where I respect those who I work with and I expect the same in return so if i ever have like a hot-headed attorney on another side of the deal that is like yelling and screaming and you know over the smallest thing right and again this is a real estate transaction this is not litigation we're not in a lawsuit you know and we're just trying to get the deal to the closing table don't start arguing with me about you know whatever it is so whenever that comes about i'm a very diplomatic person but I cut them off right there and then, and I'll be like, okay, maybe this is not a good time to discuss this. You know, I'll get back to you. And I hang up the phone because I'm not going to engage in, in that type of, you know, um, you know, that, that just negative manner. Cause I choose to surround myself with positivity.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that. I, <laughs> I can relate. You and I have a lot in common. I think that's why we like to connect, but uh, I was going to just say, along those lines, um, have you encountered at times too? Like, cause you stay calm and level, right? Yeah. Don't you see how they get even more angry? Yes. I'm, I'm so, and it's interesting cause it took my coach in my, in my mid twenties, it took my coach to teach me how to separate the emotion. Right. And that's, and that's what helps you have a lot of success too in your negotiation cause you keep a clear mind, Yeah,
2: but that you is. haven't always
1: been like that. I feel like you can get pretty fired yeah. up.
2: Oh, yeah. No, I definitely no. This has been like, these are like growing pains. And you also have to build tough skin. You know, I used to cry, it, it, you know, when uh, in the beginning of my career, if attorney would call and yell at me or whatever, I would literally I'd break down and I would cry when I got off the phone. Like I was I was like a deer in the headlights but you really have to, in this industry, especially with as many people as you come across, um, you have to build that tough skin, you know? And so over the years I've built that, I was definitely not bulletproof. I'm still not bulletproof, you know, but I know how to diffuse a situation and I'm about killing them with kindness because you're right, Shane, you know, they elevate their temper and I just, just, you know, I stay calm and I, I stay at just like a neutral position.
1: That's also I'm like, in you're New not
2: York get a rise out of me you know?
1: well, well, you're also in New York is what, yeah. I mean, it's so it's like, yeah, I mean, if you can do it there, you know <laughs> you but no, I love the other thing too about principle, um but along well, I didn't really get a chance to interject, but like along with you know, we are talking about principle, but you're just your journey of resilience, like you know one door wasn't opening or something wasn't working. And you just just kept finding your way, and I mean, since I've met you. I still like, you're so driven. You're always going like, have you ever slowed down? Like, cause I feel like you still have that same drive that you had then. And that was a few years ago, right?
2: Yeah. A few years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, I, the way that I look at life and just my journey in general is I refuse to get complacent. You know, I feel like life is all about opportunity and we're here to make it happen. So However you want to write your story, it's up to you to write the story. Nobody else is going to do it for you. And if you just sit back and you kick up your feet and you eat bonbons all day, you're not going to get very far in life, you know? So for me, it's every day is an opportunity of personal growth. Yeah, I I have my, you know, times where I check out, you know, and I take a mini vacay or whatever it is, but I literally get fueled by you know, um, just increasing productivity and increasing, you know, I'm a high energy person and I'm an extrovert. So I feed off of other people's energies. You know, I can't be sitting in my house by myself, you know, not talking to anybody because then I just kind of waste away. So I need that. It's what drives me.
1: I was just talking to, I think I was talking to Michael about that yesterday, being an extrovert, being fed, was yeah. that us that we were talking about that Michael yesterday? Because that's Probably, such a big yeah. thing. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, you talk to me a lot. Yeah, no, I do. Talk <laughs> a lot, but no, that's awesome. I I feel that. But yeah, no, and I that's one thing I was telling Michael. You know, we were talking about, you know, our you know episode today was that that's one thing that like I really connect with you on is that we have that you know in common, just that drive. Yeah. And and I love that about you know people because you know something we were discussing this morning is. There is a lot of complacency. And now in the social media era and people, you know, whether it's real or not showing their successes or what they're doing, people don't realize the level of work, commitment and drive it takes to be successful anymore. I feel like that has changed tremendously from what it was like back in the day. Now I know I'm sounding like I'm old, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. it's such a different, it, it's just so different now. And so like people like yourself really stand out. And, um, and that's one of the qualities I admire about you and, and what I'm sure is driving uh, your success.
2: Thank you. Yeah. You know, in and, and today's day, it's about earning the success. There are no handouts. I think the, you know, younger generations, unfortunately, just have this sense of entitlement and they, they don't have the hard, you know, work and that ethic that we kind of grew up with as 80s babies. And so- right. It's just, it's a little bit different of a grind and, you know, you have to make it for yourself. It's not, I'm not going to ride on anybody's back, you know?
0: Yeah, no. And I love that. No, it is it, something like that is, is super important because like chain to your point, like people these days, they, they go on social media, they see that and they think, oh, I can, I can put in a little bit of time and effort. I can get there too. Or, you know, they start something, but they never finish it because then they start realizing how, how difficult it is. Um, so Talia, I mean, you've probably faced a lot of challenges in in kind of your journey up to this point. Um, what would you say have been some of the hardest ones that you faced, and how did you overcome those?
2: Sure. So a lot of you know, for me, especially being a woman um, in the real estate industry and being a female attorney in a very male-dominated industry, I don't. I have to work a little bit harder to make a name for myself, right? So. You know, when it comes to getting selected by clients, you know, as an attorney and if they, you know, call a a male attorney versus calling me or whatever, they might just feel that they're going to get, you know, more protection or more, you know, um, assertiveness with a with a man than a female. So my biggest challenge is really the gender roles, you know, um, in the real estate industry and proving myself even more um, to, you know, to let clients know, look, I'm going to do just as good of a job and if not better, just give me a shot, you know, because people always have preconceived notions, you know, people already have, you know, their idea of what's going to make an effective lawyer and I want a man, you know, Um, so. That's probably one of my biggest challenges, but how I've overcome that is really just building my reputation and proving myself um, with, you know, real estate agents, with clients, getting testimonials. You know, I'm like, you don't have to hear it from me, you know, hear it from them, hear it from the clients that I've worked with, the agents that I've worked with um, and let them tell you, because that's really, you know, what's going to speak volumes more than myself. And then I just say, look, give me a shot. You know, a lot of realtors, they again, New York is an attorney state. So here it's required by law that you retain um, a lawyer before you even can sign a contract. So before you buy or sell, you have to retain counsel. So I always tell agents here, I say, look, I understand you have relationships with other attorneys. I just want to be one of the three that you recommend. And more often than not, they're like, You know, I, yes, I really appreciate that. I don't even have any female attorneys on my list. I would love to add you to my list and, you know, have a chance to work with you. So at least, you know, I'm, I'm getting my foot in the door that way.
0: And oftentimes I imagine that's, that's really all you need, right? Is you get your foot in the door and, you know, your, your book of work kind of speaks for itself and, you know, how you carry yourself and how you interact with people.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what it takes. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So
1: what I mean what's your favorite part I mean because obviously you you do business in in Florida is different than New York yeah but like like what is your favorite part because I mean obviously you're multifaceted and you're talented and different things like what's what's your favorite part of your practice or what you do in a on a daily basis?
2: For me, my favorite part is really the education so it it's twofold for me on one hand, I love you know, working with first-time home buyers and making their dream come true because there's some, you know, people that just never imagined, you know, uh, being able to own property. So it's like this, you know, I have, you know, a hand in like being a dream maker, you know, so that part I love because it gives me that, you know, instant reward, you know, within 60 days, because I see how happy my clients are. And then the other part of my practice is really education. You know, I've been teaching Um, CRE classes for the last 10 years, you know, to realtors. I do about, you know, um, a monthly webinar, I have about 15 different topics. So I really love helping teaching agents how to grow their business, increase negotiation tactics, you know, save deals from falling through, giving them the tips and the tricks and the strategies to make deals happen to close the gap. So that's really where my passion lies, because, look, I can do closings all day long. It's great. It's my bread and butter. But what's, you know, at the end of the day, you, you have to, you know, what's going to fulfill your soul? You know, what's really going to give you that, you know, um, return on your investment, if you will. And yeah, the money is great, but it's seeing other people succeed. It's seeing people, you know, being like, oh, I utilized, you know, that tip about negotiating personal property or, you know, the close and lease back period that really helped. That's what got the deal done. I love hearing those stories because I just helped somebody, you know, make, get a deal done and, you know, collect their commission. So that's really what I enjoy the most.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Now, if you're watching on YouTube or streaming this on your podcast platform, if you could do us a favor, leave a comment down below and let us know where you're listening or watching the show from today. It greatly helps with the algorithm and helps us get reach out to more people who need or want to hear what we have to say. We greatly appreciate it. And now back to the show. I mean, I I personally really love the fact that like you you love helping first time home buyers because I can I can totally relate to that too. I I'm relatively newer in real estate compared to Shane. I'm only like six and a half years in, uh, but I focus a lot on like new construction first time home buyers. And part of the reason I, I love doing that is I had a I had a bad experience my first time out with like before I got my license. My first property um, had an agent that just was didn't really explain a lot of things, didn't guide me through it. And a lot of times with first time home buyers like they're, it's like the deer in the headlights and they don't know what they don't know. They don't know what kind of questions to ask and like to be able to walk and guide them through that process and then see how they happy they are at the end of the day, when you give them your keys, it's just, yeah, is like the best feeling in the world. It and
1: really well, is. Well, and their appreciation, cause they haven't done it before. It's such a big thing. Like their appreciation for you can be, I mean, not that, not to discount, like what my great repeat investment, whatever clients feel or appreciate, but But just that first time, like I just closed one last week and it just it's like on another level, the excitement and the gratitude and the appreciation. So, yeah, totally, totally can relate to that. That's interesting that you chose education um, because, like, you know, it has a lot to do with your personality, right? We're extroverts and then we love helping people. I'm a big fan of helping people. And I find myself now as well really taking a lot of direction towards mentorship and coaching and guiding as well. I I love that, yeah. and um, I mean, but I mean, if you ask me the same question, I would still juggle a little bit because I love. There's a lot of things I love about what I do, but I I could totally relate to that to what both you and Michael loving that. But um.
0: well, Natalia, I I want to dig in a little bit now, kind of on on your coaching side, and as you're kind of helping realtors, you had mentioned you kind of help them, especially with a lot of negotiation tactics so what are some of the things that you find um, you know what are some of the gaps or some of the challenges that most agents face when it comes to kind of you know being able to close more deals being able to find more listings or being able to close negotiations like what are some of the biggest challenges that you find them facing
2: I think it really comes down to um, not knowing how to navigate the deal properly and you know not being able to work proactively and getting stuck working reactively oh, meaning okay. you when an issue arises there's a great way to avoid that issue and common pitfalls by getting ahead of the ball um before you know the shit hits the fan excuse yeah. my language yeah. Yeah. as opposed to you know the ball drops and now you're trying to you know pick up the pieces and save the deal so the strategies and the tools that i teach really help agents Be aware and foresee issues before that they, before they exist. So their deal doesn't die, you know, halfway through. So, you know, for an example, I think it's always great to negotiate inspection contingency thresholds. Okay. Because what you don't want to happen is, all right, you have an accepted offer. Great. The parties come to a meeting of the minds. Wonderful. The contract signed. Now you have an inspection contingency and the parties are going to be nickeling and diming over the smallest things. So you prepare expectations in advance and you negotiate a threshold with your buyer. Okay, because let's say it was a tough negotiation between offer and acceptance. The seller wants the certainty and the confidence that if He's going to accept your price that you're going to move forward with that price, not that you're going to come back and ask for 50K off, you know. So what I always recommend to them, I say, hey, why don't you go in negotiating an inspection contingency threshold, which means so long as the repair costs don't exceed, you know, 10% uh, um, or or 10 grand rather, or or it could be a percentage, 5% of the purchase price, whatever it may be. Then the buyer agrees to proceed at the full purchase price. But if it exceeds 20K or whatever that threshold is, then the parties have a, um, a right to renegotiate um, or either party can cancel, you know. Um, or, you know, the buyer will assume the first 20K and then the seller will cover, you know, anything above that, whatever it may be. But that type of strategy really helps keep the deal together so it doesn't fall apart in the beginning. And same thing with appraisal contingency thresholds same thing if you're going to come in above ask as a buyer then the agent needs to you know advise the client hey look we can't negotiate an appraisal contingency when you're coming in above ask because the buyer the seller is picking your offer over all the other ones because you're in at 25k above ask or whatever it is you have to assume that overage you know because you're coming in over ask so it's things like that that some agents may not you know, know to kind of discuss or inform their client and i just feel like the more that the more transparency there is and the more agents can manage expectations of their clients the smoother the deal is going to go um so things like that are the different you know tactics that i try and and teach and then obviously my course which is when the listing really helps you know buyer or excuse me um agents not just focus on buyers Um, where they're, you know, spinning their wheels and spending all this time with the buyer pulling listings and doing showings only for the buyer to jump ship or not be loyal or not ready to pull the trigger. And now all of that time and energy is wasted. If they shift their focus towards sellers and winning more listings, whether it's cold callings or mailers or sharing success stories and saying, Hey, I just closed, you know, XYZ Main Street down the block from you you know, I I can do a great job at selling your property, they have a greater potential to close on that deal within three to six months, you know. And most likely every seller is going to have to, is going to turn into a buyer and they're going to buy, you know, or relocate or upsize or downsize or whatever the circumstances are. So now that agent can double their commission just by virtue of having an exclusive listing.
1: I love that. I could relate to some of the things you're talking about because obviously I, you know, coach agents as well. Like we were talking about the appraisal and the whole being over. Yeah. There's, there's, I got some creative strategies for that. And um, I think along the lines too, because you are an attorney, I'm sure that you can help them also write like really clean offers, you know, because you're dealing with these contracts every day. And that's something where, you know, setting expectations, but also delivering something really clean and concise and thoroughly filled out. Mm-hmm. That's, that's been a real strength for me because I mean, I'm good at winning offers on multiple offers from the buyer's side. And, and you know, I'm more of a listing agent, but I'm, you know, what, what I do help my sellers buy and everything else. Yeah. I always want to win the battle. So no, I love that. I love that. Love the strategies. Thanks for
0: sharing that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Of course.
0: Yeah. I have to say like, I, I appreciate the fact that y- your advice about kind of focusing on the, on the listings on the sellers. Like I, I feel like I, you know, that's, it's great advice. Cause I have talked to a lot of agents, especially here in the Bay area. Um, there, you know, I, I've, I recently sp- spoke to an agent, like even last week and she was just sharing with me, like how tiring it is to be on the buying side sometimes. Yeah. Cause she even has like, she, she's had clients that are repeat clients and because they want a better, you know, commission split or something else mm-hmm. they're you know, they're going to go find There's no loyalty. And they're gonna go find another buyer's agent who's a, who's willing to give them like half of their commission.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, and it i know is- you and I have talked about this a lot. Like when you're on the selling side, it's you there's more guarantees you have a lot more control over over the process. Yeah. A lot of power. You gotta establish your
1: you gotta establish your value though. Yeah. I mean, that's a we could have a whole nother session on that. Like yeah. that's the problem, is you have to establish your value as an agent or as an attorney or closing attorney, like whatever it is that you're doing you have to establish your value with a client and you gotta own it. Um, I'm I'm disgusted by this.
2: I tell agents all the time, do not accept less than 6%. You know, if you, unless you're in a luxury listing and it's like 20 million and up, you know and you wanna take a little bit less, you know, fine. But otherwise don't sell, if it's under a million or 2 million, don't sell yourself short. You deserve, you know, that full 6%. And a lot of arguments, you know, come up from sellers like, well, I can just sell this property on myself. What do I need an agent for? I can do for sale by owner. But actually, statistics show that sellers that sell on their own make 30% less in their sales price than if they were to use an agent. And an agent's commission is only 6%. So it's like you're heeing and hawing over, I don't want to pay 6%. Why do I need an agent? I'll just put it on Zillow. But meanwhile, you don't know the first thing about negotiating a real estate deal. And you don't know anything about comps, values, you know, contingencies, disclosures. <laughs> disclosures, any of that. And it's like, it's, you know, a penny wise, a pound foolish. So what are you really saving at the end of the day? You're losing.
1: Well, you got to break it down with 1% is because I'm a 6% guy up to 5 million. I mean, the way I break it down, it's yeah. 6% to 5 million, okay. 5% from 5 to 10 million. And I negotiate above 10 million. And go. like the most expensive listing I've ever had was 16 million. Nice. And that went four and a half on that, which, you know, that just seemed reasonable, you know. For, yeah, right. but uh, but yeah, I just, but when you break it down as what one percent is and how valuable that is to us, yeah, when they're trying to be at five or six or whatever, right? It's like I know I can make you more than that, you know, right. ten thousand, twenty thousand. You want to save, and I love that bringing up the statistics about, you know, because the other thing is we stage all our homes. You know, that's another yeah. thing where. You know staging statistically right so yeah. yeah but then that's why you need to be a professional have your value right and i and i love that you and i are trying to coach people up to be better about
0: that
2: yeah and also to lead lead with confidence and enthusiasm you know because as soon as your seller your client you know sees a break um you know or a crack i should say um or of insecurity yep. or you know or thinking twice no you stay firm you stand your ground you lead with that confidence and you and you're like you know I'm worth it and I'm going to prove it to you and I'm here to get you the best you know dollar uh, for your property plus you're you're fronting all of your time expenses and resources even you know turning the property around to go live on the market so that's your hustle that's your investment you know um, and I really stress the one-stop shop. I think it's really important for agents when they're pitching sellers on exclusives to say, look, you know, I'm a one-stop shop. I have everything in my team. I have the contractors, the videographers, the photographers, the stagers, You know, the attorneys, whatever you need, you don't have to deal with multiple different people. And if there's like any eyesores in the property, like water stains or any type of cosmetic damage, things like that. Hey, I'll bring my contractor in. He'll plaster this up. We'll make it, you know, good. I'll bring my stager in, you know, because we all know the perception of value is key. You know, that's really what what's going to sell the most. And a lot of buyers need that, you know, that vision Um, and they, it's, it's not just about numbers, but it's also about the emotional attachment. You know, can I see myself living in this house when I walk in? Is it bright and sunny and airy? Are the, you know, curtains drawn? Is everything look, you know, beautiful because they need to picture themselves. It's an emotional connection. It's not just, let's just look at the price, you know?
1: Yeah. I always talk about people falling in love with our listings. So yeah, yeah, you're speaking, speaking my language. I've had people literally fall in love with really yeah oh yeah i had one i had one house that sticks out in my mind in the barrier that the buyers were so in love they made an over list price offer on the saturday the first open house saturday and then we had one more open house on sunday we had an offer deadline for tuesday okay but they wanted to make a preemptive offer they sat in my open house the whole open house on oh sunday Oh my gosh. they sat <laughs> the scare in away other house. buyers <laughs> pretty much <laughs> they're
2: like this is <laughs> our property don't nope nope we've already got it
1: you know what just fun fact they called me three years later to list their home instead of their own agent because really? they were so impressed with my presentation of wow. the property. Wow. That was flattering. I didn't expect that call. And they were not nice. They were difficult people. Really? So when they called me, I was like, they want us? I mean, is money that valuable to them? Cause I cause we didn't they were not nice buyers. They were well, it's a
2: testament was... to who you are then. I mean it you know, right. they were impressed, clearly.
1: Yeah, so but it goes back to what you're saying. That if you really work at a high level, you don't have to go steal anybody's clients. But if you if you shine,
0: you know, you're gonna get
2: you, and you're gonna gonna be memorable. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. I think there's a certain amount of if you like if you if you're professional, if you're organized, um, you know, your your value will shine. Um, I I think back to one of my first clients. It was actually a buyer that I met doing an open house for Shane. And this is I'm not an I'm not an extrovert like the like either of you. I'm always like. Down the middle between introvert and extrovert. But I mean, what I do have going like is my engineering background. And I remember for this one client, and especially with a lot of clients in the Bay Area, like they, they come from these tech companies. And one of the first things I did was I, I did, uh, I was doing comps, but I did comps in my own Excel spreadsheet. And then I showed them exactly kind of how I broke everything down little by little to kind of get to the range that we were going to put an offer in. And this guy was so impressed. I was like, I, at this point, I, by just based on his reaction, I was like, okay, no, like he's not going to go for anybody else. Um, but so sometimes it's it, it's it goes back to again the, the quality of the work, the product that you put out, how you treat people, and then going back to earlier about you know not lowering your commission. Like I I came up through the corporate world. I did a lot of corporate pricing, and there's something to to be said about you know there's a few ways to do pricing. One is you could do it from a cost-based perspective and just make sure you make a little bit above what your costs are. The other way is value. And I think it's the same thing in real estate. It's like you stick with the value that you know that you can provide and you stick to your guns, you stick to your principles. And sometimes even subconsciously, if you, to your point, Talia, if you show a little bit of a crack, you say, hey, you know, I'll lower it by 1%. That just opens the floodgates for them to say, okay, this person actually doesn't believe in their own value and I can get more.
2: And I can get more right. And they're going to continue digging, you know, and at the end of the day, I say you get what you pay for. If you want to work with a discount broker, you know, that's charging whatever, 3 percent or whatever it is, that's what you're going to get. That's the service you're going to get. You know, they're going to put it on MLS. They're going to put it online. They're not going to, you know, spend half the amount of, of time and effort to really, you know, get your property out there to market it properly, to stage it properly. And your property is gonna sit on the market and it's gonna go stale and you're not gonna get any offers.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, I just, I, I, that just makes me smile. I I just like, I laugh. like,
2: like, I love this every day. This is like, (laughs) those
1: are not my people. I have found my people. Those are not my people. (laughs) Yeah. And our clients come back, which is a testament, right? Like right now, six of my listings right now are clients who I sold the home to. Get this anywhere from two to nine years ago wow. the last six that i just got in the last wow.
2: and they weeks. keep coming back to you that's amazing they that's do lot. and
1: and shame on me for not always being the best about my prospecting follow-up mm-hmm. i do have some things in place i'm a big nurturer okay. but i i actually become friends and really love a lot of these clients and and we do show them love but i don't just with what i've been through in my own life the last couple of years with health and such i just haven't quite been able to do the kind of outreach i like to do yeah. The fact that they come back regardless and dodge so many, like, social media ads and Zillow people and everything else, it's incredible what what they have to go through. It's like a salmon swimming upstream to spawn. Yeah, It's amazing what they get through to, like, get there. Right. And so when they get back to me, um, you know, it, I'm flattered by that. But at the same time, I'm also it makes me nervous because it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, it's like they could have been picked up by someone who is out there getting in front of them you know
2: well that just means you're memorable because if you're not even doing follow-ups and newsletters or whatever it is you know then that just means that you really kind of made an impression on them and they want to work with you again so they come back to you
1: yeah well and, and i mean like i said we do like i do do a fair amount of nurturing and reach out but not to the level that i'd like to okay and so but it still is that's what i'm saying but i still feel like there's a lot of uh obstacles out there because there's not a lot of inventory and agents are just finding every which way to go chase down any listing and get their hands on. So they're just just valuable, valuable commodity right now listings.
2: Well, and the other thing is, you know, the lower the commission, the less likely you're going to have a buyer's agent bring their client through. So, like, that's another argument that I always make, you know, to sellers and agents when they're oh, me too.
1: It's got to be at least two and a half. It's
2: it's got to be because you're not you're you're missing a whole boatload of potential buyers because their agents are going to waste time on it, right? Right. Regardless of how perfect the property and the price might be, the agents aren't even going to show it.
1: You know what's interesting for me because I mean, obviously, I work more on the listing side, but on the buy side, I never pay attention to that number. But it's weird how my eye will catch that if it's not at least two and a half percent. My eye will catch that when I'm going through listings because I don't look, I honestly don't look at that because I'm always looking out for my client's best interest. My client wants to see a certain house or there's certain houses in there where they want to be in. I always focus on what's best for my client. I don't really look at the, you know, but when I see that, what I do, because I am not an agent that looks out for my own money. I look out for taking care of my client. What I do is I send a commission demand or commission agreement Mm -hmm. with my offer for the additional commission. What? Yeah. Cause that's just ridiculous. I'm like, you're no, I want my client to get what they want, yeah. but instead of being some agents are shady, they'll avoid those listings. I will basically say, you know what, we'll do a good job. We'll get this done. You want us on the other end. This is what it costs. Right. And, and I don't care how they slice it on their side, but that's just, that's what it is. And I haven't had pushback on that. Oh, good. Okay. And if they push back, then, you know, <laughs> Then you're pushing on. back. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Well, yeah, negotiation. Yeah. Don't even get me going on negotiation. I mean <laughs> yeah. I'm a savage, which I know you are, Talia. So I won't even It's a savage <laughs> with negotiation. Don't get me started. <laughs> <Yeah>. It's that
2: <laughs> poker face. It's all about the poker it face.
0: Is. <laughs> right, Talia, I think we'll we'll kind of wrap up uh this episode with a couple of questions for you. Uh one is, you know, give me three or give us three words that you live by.
2: Three words that I live by. Okay, I love that. So positivity, passion, and integrity. I love it. I mean, that's just, that yeah. sums up who I am.
0: Yeah. You know?
1: That's, yeah. that's And it just, it all aligns with our, like the character. It, I yeah, love it.
0: It does. Yeah. It doesn't even surprise me. And the very last question we always like to end with all our guests is if you were starting a real estate production business today, knowing everything that you know uh, through all your years of experience, what would you do differently? How would you go about building up your business today?
2: Okay, great question. Um, You know, for me, it would probably be, I'm not here to reinvent the wheel. I want to copy the wheel. So I would model my business after those people that have already made it and are successful in their business. And whatever they did, I would copy what they did because I know it works. I'm not, I don't need to be a scientist. I don't need to like, try out a bunch of different things. If I know that there is a you know um, short model that has been successful for somebody that I admire or wanna be like, then I'm going to um, replicate that same business model um, instead of experimenting.
0: Replicate, I like that better. We, we usually call it R&D and it stands for rip off and duplicate, but replicate oh. and duplicate <laughs> might actually be a much nicer term. <laughs>
2: Just a little bit more, you
0: know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit better. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: Although, remember she's in New York, Michael. We always like to, you know, hammer New York. <laughs> it's the
2: you guys West, rip West, things West, West off.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> What'd you say?
1: You guys rip things off over there. Oh, right? we rip things yeah. off.
2: Yeah, there, you know, a lot of uh, definitely a lot of bootlegging going on no,
1: here. I'm just, I'm just kidding. No, I appreciate that. And I uh, appreciate you coming on and actually, you know, spending some time having this conversation with us. Um, Well, thank
2: you guys.
1: Yeah. And just, you actually gave me some thoughts for maybe some, you know, future topics that we could tackle even on other platforms um, that I think we can go deep on. Like we were talking, you know, yesterday about some of the education and stuff and being involved in maybe presenting and stuff. I think that there's a lot of really cool topics that came out of this, Talia, that we could actually, even make content on you know what I mean even if it's not education probably make some content with
2: super I'm, I'm, I'm super excited well thank you guys so much for having me I'm so um, grateful and appreciative and um, looking forward to yeah. to more
0: yeah no absolutely we really appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with us and if our listeners want to get connected with you or learn more about the the coaching and the training that you provide like what's the best way for them to do that
2: Sure. Best way to reach me is through my 360 site. It's Tali360.com. That's T-A-L-I 360.com. And um, they can check out my social media, my videos, my YouTube channel, and you have all my contact info there as well. Um, So definitely feel free to reach out. Thank you guys so much.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. We'll make sure to put that information in the uh, the show notes for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed and we'll catch you next time on the Top Producing Zone podcast.